talking about emotional intelligence, I know some of the reaction that I've gotten from some people a little bit is like, wait, is this something for church? Is this something for Oprah, you know? Um, is this really just pop psychology or, or really why are we talking about this in church? And, and so I want to remind you um, of something that we talked about last week, kind of to, to kick it off here today. Last week we saw that humans are born in God's image. We're also born with a sinful nature. And so learning to be self-aware is going to help Christians live out that new nature. In other words, this is one of the foundational biblical truths of emotional intelligence, that we are made, as humans, we're made in God's image. We reflect Him, and so that means we have a spiritual dimension to us, but it also means that we have a relational aspect to our lives, and we have an emotional aspect to our lives. That's part of what God created, and when He made it, He said, this is good, it's very good. But we also saw last week how all of humanity has slipped into sin, fallen into, we have this this problem, this selfishness, this inherent um, disregard for God and for others in our lives, and so that taints our emotions, that taints our relationships, it taints our spiritual relationship with God. And so the good news is, is that when you come to follow Christ and you belong to Him, then you receive a new nature. And that new nature then begins to bring transformation and dictate change in our lives. And if you look at the Bible, you'll see that a lot of the transformation that God has in mind for us touches on our inner life, our emotional life, and on our relational life as well. And so that's what we're trying to, to look into today because in American Christianity, it seems like There's a trend sometimes it's easy for us to really compartmentalize that we think that our spiritual life is for Sunday or it's for stuff that's related to church. And what we talked about last week is how really God wants all of us and how every aspect of our life all week long is part of our faith. And so a reason a lot of people don't experience emotional health or greater relational health is because we've compartmentalized and we don't let God deal with those other aspects of our life from Monday through Saturday as well. And so I wanted to remind you of something the Bible promises to us to put this into context. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So this is a promise that he makes to everyone who belongs to Christ, that he's going to give us, he's going to make us different on the inside. He's going to take away that stony, stubborn heart that so often reflects itself in our relationships, and and he's going to give us this new heart, this new spirit, this new nature. But the reality is, is... In much of our lives, we forget that that's who we are. We don't learn how to live that out because if you think about it, all of our habitual patterns of how we think and how we act in life are shaped by the old nature that we lived with for so long. 
And so it, it, we have to remember and, and, and really become more aware of what God is doing in us in order to live out this new life, in order to become the people that God wants us to become. And so that's why we're talking today about self-awareness. It's about being more conscious. It's about being more mindful of who we are in Christ and what that looks like in our daily life, and in particular, what that looks like in our emotional life and our relational life. So we're going to talk today about three markers of a self-aware person. In other words, today we want to become more conscious of what's happening inside our own hearts, our own inner life, and so that we can become more and more fully the people God has called us to be. So here's these three markers. Number one, how do I know if I am self-aware, if I'm growing in self-awareness? Number one, I'm going to call it courage. Self-aware people have the courage to articulate their faults and strengths, and they're secure enough to take a compliment or to listen to a rebuke. So courage... See, self-awareness, another way to talk about that is that I know myself well enough to be able to identify my strengths and my weaknesses, and that takes some courage. Now, we all have strengths. We all have ways that God has wired us and created in us gifts and abilities and so forth. Well, part of self-awareness is a recognition of those areas of strength, and I can celebrate those. But we also all have weaknesses. We also have faults and flaws and, and mistakes we've made. And our personality is, no, nobody's perfect, right? And so part of self-awareness is to know myself well enough to be able to name the faults, to be able to identify those things as well. And that especially takes courage to do that. Because a lot of us, we live by the motto, ignorance is bliss. Do you ever feel that way? Look, don't rock the boat. Everything's going fine. Don't bring that up because I'm happy and I'm content with where I'm at. You know, ignorance is bliss. I can live pretty happily without ever facing up to those challenges or those issues in my life for at least a while. But eventually, they're going to come to the surface. And eventually, there's going to be consequences in my life if I keep stuffing, stu- put, sweeping stuff under the rug, if I keep putting things in the closet and closing the door. If I live in denial, it's going to come up and, and hurt me in the end. And so, ignorance is bliss only for a time. But knowing that, intellectually, we, we still resist naming our faults. Why do we do that? Why do we still resist being able to own the issues in our lives? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with our insecurities. We have this image of ourself, this competent me, that I've kind of got it together, at least in most of my central core, and I, I don't want that to be threatened in any way. I don't want to have to face up to the, the fact that Maybe I'm less than I thought I wanted to be, or maybe, maybe I don't measure up to somebody else, or maybe I'm a failure in life, or we put our worth and our significance, we protect that really carefully, don't we? Kind of lock it away and don't let anything touch that because of our insecurity. But the first step in growth is really to be, be able to acknowledge that. So what, what I'm talking about The courage here is the courage to say, look, I want to grow. 
I want to be the person God created me to be, and so I'm going to look in the mirror. I'm willing to take an inventory. I'm willing to be fearless about that and, and to really be open to what God wants to say and do in my life because I want my life to be better. I want to grow. And so the first step in that is that be willingness to be able to take a deep look at ourselves and do a self-evaluation. Now here's where we see that in the Bible. Romans chapter 12 talks about self-evaluation. The Apostle Paul says, because of the privilege and authority God has given to me, I'm giving each of you this warning. Warning from an apostle. Okay, I'm paying attention. Don't think you are better than you really are. There's a self-awareness issue for you, right? But he says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. This is an invitation, not, not even that. It's a, actually a directive that we ought to be in the process of self-evaluation, and we ought to be honest about it. Now, what it does, it puts it in the context of our faith. But the faith that God has given us, that's the standard by which we do an evaluation. We're doing it by God's perspective. And we're doing it in faith because part of that faith is we know that even if I mess up, even with my weaknesses, even with the ways that I've blown it and the faults that I have, that God in Christ still loves me unconditionally. And when I know that, when I trust in God's unconditional love, that creates a safe place where I can look in the mirror. That creates the emotional safety and security for me to be able to say, okay, I'm open to look at anything you have to say to me, God. And so the the faith is the framework that gives us the ability to be honest with ourselves. Now, the idea of honesty here, part of it is courage. Part of it is also like being a little objective. Because what we'll often do when we evaluate, we, we use a double standard. We're very generous with ourselves a lot of times. Now, I know sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves too, but sometimes we're really generous with ourselves, and when we see the same fault in somebody else, we're really judgmental about them, all right? So he says, be honest. We're not going to judge with a double standard. We're not going to judge somebody who did something to me differently than the way I would judge myself, right? And so the first step, take a deep look at ourselves. And then the second step of self-awareness goes even beyond that, and it takes courage to invite other people to give us feedback. You know, a lot of times we live our lives just trying to avoid feedback from anybody else, but I'm saying that biblically, we have a reason to actually invite that feedback. Proverbs chapter 2, we looked at this from a little bit of a different angle last week, but he says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. This is a framework of being that says, look, here's the approach I'm going to take towards self-awareness. I'm going to seek to understand. I'm going to seek to have more insight about who I am and about what's going on within me. And the reality is that God often uses other people to give us that insight in our life. God will use what other people have to say to Help us to understand who we really are, what's really going on. A lot of times we have blinders on. We can't see it ourselves unless someone else comes. And we'll talk about how that works a little bit more later. But I would just encourage you that in light of this, that not to just passively wait for someone to bring something up in your life, but to approach the people that you trust, that know you well, 
whether it's your roommate, your best friend, a family member, your spouse, whoever it might be, to actually go and take the initiative to approach that person and give them permission. And say, look, I I want you to be really honest with me. I I realize I want to be more self-aware. I want to be a better person. I want to be more like Jesus. I want you to be honest with me because I can trust you and you know me well, so tell me the truth. Are there things where I need to grow? Are there things that I need to be aware of if I'm going to grow? You see, as Christ followers, we don't let insecurities rule our life. But we have the courage to face our weaknesses, to face our strengths, but to face our weaknesses as well. So that's number one. It's courage. Now, Building on that, the second one is fairly similar, but it's a different angle on this. The second one is humility and teachability, being humble and teachable. Self-aware people are humble and teachable when someone points out a weakness. They avoid sinful responses to sin and show a willingness to own their trash, to own their stuff. I'll talk about the sinful responses to sin in just a moment, but let's talk about humility and teachability. And so here's the question. What is your gut-level reaction when someone points out a weakness in your life? When someone rebukes you about something? What's your just immediate, your, you know, your immediate default reaction? What switch gets flipped? And if you're like me, then you'll get defensive. And I'll just go, yeah, you know, and I'll put up a shield to avoid the implications of what I'm hearing and suddenly I'll have a thousand reasons why what I just heard from my wife or my friend doesn't apply to me. So we'll get defensive. Sometimes we just like become an expert on the faults of the person who just said that to us. Like so they, they zing a rebuke in our direction like a tennis ball coming over the net, you know. And so my initial reaction is I'm just going to whip that thing back to their court as quick as I can. And suddenly it's all about their faults and about their problems and uh, so that I don't have to look at my own. Or maybe sometimes we get, we just shut down and we give the silent treatment. It's like, I'm done. I'm done talking. Goodbye. You know, I don't want to hear this. And we like leave the room physically or leave the room emotionally. Or sometimes we might respond with just a wave of anger back at that other person get super angry because we've learned and some of us have learned in life that if I get angry enough and I just pour that out, then that person will be so uncomfortable they're going to back off and they'll never bother me again. So it's like, I'll, it's like I get out a flamethrower and I'm just going to send them flying in the other direction. But you know what? We have this new nature. We have this new heart that God has put in us as Christ followers And so we can learn to respond out of that new nature. I know we have these emotional habits that we built over time, but we can learn to respond out of that new nature to say, you know what, maybe you're right. You know what, I can can hear what you're saying, and I receive that. I can hear what you're saying. And so that's what I mean by being humble and teachable. So humble, what it means to be humble is like, I recognize, look, maybe I don't have all the answers about myself. Maybe I am not the person that I want to project the image that, I, that you see out there. Maybe it, humble enough to say, yeah, you know, I've got faults, I've got failures, and it's okay to name them. And humble enough to say, you know what, maybe my perspective on reality isn't 
100% accurate all the time. And then to be teachable means to say, you know what, I, I think that there's, you probably have something that, that you could say into my life that I'm going to learn from. I'm willing to learn from anybody. I'm willing to learn. And I'm not just feel like I know it all about myself or about life right now. And so part of that new, that new reaction that we make comes from understanding that we can probably trust the person who spoke into our life. Most of the time, the majority of the time, the input we're going to get from somebody else is probably someone who knows us well enough that they care about us and they see they want to help. They want to help. So they, in fact, you know what? Think about the risk that it takes to bring up something to somebody. That's why you and I, sometimes we know we need to bring it up, but we don't bring it up, right? Because there's a big risk there. Because we don't want to rock the boat, and we don't want to mess up our relationship with this person and, and, and create a potential rift between us. And so if you think when you're on the receiving end, if you think about the risk that it took someone to bring that up to you, you realize maybe they care about you a lot in order to take that risk. And so I can then respond to them in a different way if I understand them and if I see that in that light. But here's another thing I've learned in life is that even if that person doesn't care about me, they don't want the best for me, even if their motives toward me are negative and harmful, then I've learned that God can still use that in my life. I can still learn something from even the critic, even the opponent in my life if I'm humble and teachable about it, even if they're 98% wrong. And so I just want to write them off. Everything they say, there still might be that 2%. That I say, man, I can learn something from that. God can use that in my life to help me be more self-aware and help me grow. So, for example, this week, I, earlier this week, I had to send a, a very difficult email to somebody to explain to him the reasons why I would not cooperate with him on, a, on, an, on an issue, why I had, would have to say no to him on this thing that he asked me to do. And um, I knew it could be hard, but I knew I had to tell him the truth. And so I worked really, really hard to, um, to be careful and be diplomatic and tactful about how I said it, you know. I didn't want to make waves where I didn't need to make waves, but I knew it was some, some tough truths that had to be communicated. And then uh, the next day I got an email back from this person, and he was really offended by what I said, and he let me know it. Um, and he basically accused me of sinning in my email. He said, you know, I really feel like when you wrote this, your intention was to hurt me. And he said, I feel like your email didn't have God's grace in it anywhere. It totally lacked grace. And, you know, I'd worked hard to get that just right. You know, I'd worked hard to make, the, make it as calm and, and, and diplomatic as possible. And so my initial reaction when I got his response was like, forget you. You know, go take a hike, buddy. I, forget, I don't want anything to do with you. But then I realized, I thought, oh, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to think about my own self-awareness. I said, maybe there's something in his response. Maybe there's a germ of truth in it. And so I said, I'm going to take some time. I'll pr- go pray about it. And I'm going to ask God the honest question, what, did, I, did I actually intend to harm him, hurt him in what I wrote? Did I? Let's, let's check my heart about that. And number two, did it really lack grace 
And the things that he said, did check my heart about that. So I saw this is an opportunity for me, even from a person who's not on, on my side, right, for me to grow and become more self-aware. So here's the thing. The fact is the reality is you are going to get input from other people in life. That's kind of part of it being an adult, right? And so it's going to happen. People are going to speak into your life whether you like it or not. And they're often going to say things that you don't want to hear. But often it's going to be things that you need to hear. And so since it's such a part of life, why don't we just kind of stop avoiding it and just learn how to handle it well, right? Wouldn't that be the adult mature thing to do? And what I'm telling you today is biblically that the emotionally healthy response, the emotionally intelligent response is to respond with humility by being teachable. Now, what I want to do is pivot now to an emotionally unhealthy response that when someone gives feedback into our life, we can make a response that is actually going to make things worse. And that's what on the slide you can see on the screen, that's what I'm calling a sinful response to sin. In other words, these are the tactics that we often use to divert the issue from what I need to deal with to protect myself from owning up to my own garbage. So here's what I mean. Let me give you an example. of. There's 10 of them up here. I'm not going to talk in depth about all of them, but just some of the tactics that we use to avoid owning up. We might minimize it and say, eh, there's no big deal. Or we might legitimize it. We say, yeah, you know, everybody does that. Or we might rationalize it and say, well, I had a good reason to do it. We might shift the blame or point the finger at someone else. We bolded that one because I'm going to come back to that one in a minute. We might use a diversionary tactic instead of say, oh, look what's happening over there. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about that. Or partial confession where I'm willing to own it superficially or just partially but not completely. A worldly grief is the idea that I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I got caught victimization and say, hey, what are you talking about, man? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm the victim here. Mere confession is like, okay, I'm just going to say with my words, I'll admit it, but with my heart, I won't. Or codifying sin, what we mean by that is we give it a name or classify it in a way that we, we can write it off as not being sin. More things we could talk about there a lot. In fact, there's a there's a topic in the library at PursueGod.org that goes into more depth on all of these sinful responses to sin. But I want to focus in on just the one, the blame shifting, because it's so common. We do it a lot. And in fact, the Bible talks about this in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God came to them and he did the confrontation. God came to them and said, okay, I'm going to have to call you on something right now. And we read what happened in Genesis 3, verse 11. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God says, did you do, like, I think you did it. God knew, he knew they did it. So he called them on. Here's the confrontation. Here's the moment of truth. How does Adam respond? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. So ever since the very beginning, right, men have been blaming women for their bad, own bad decisions, right? And not only that, he's blaming God. He said, God, if you'd give me a different one, then I would have, it would, this wouldn't have happened. So really, literally, it's the oldest trick in the book. 
It's the third chapter of the book, right? But, but right, women do it too. We all do it. It's human. What if Adam had just said, God, you know what? You are so right. We ate it. I own it. I'm guilty. We did it. And, it was, and I'm, I'm responsible for, for leading my wife into that perilous situation. What if he just owned it? Well, the thing is that we have this instinct within us. It seems like a default setting almost within our hearts where it's so easy for us to say, no, no, it wasn't me. And to divert attention and blame to somebody else is like, we, nobody has to teach us how to do that. It just seems to be hardwired in to our response. And so, <clears throat> this is what I'm talking about, learning to be self-aware, learning to live out of that new nature where we could come to the place where we could say, it doesn't matter what somebody else did, I'm guilty. I'm guilty for my part. Yes, I did speak out of anger. Yes, I was selfish. Yes, I did something that hurt you. And just own it. Um, what if, instead of becoming suddenly defensive or lashing out in anger, what if we took just five seconds, enough to catch our breath, and to respond to that situation, to listen, and to think about our response, and to respond with humility, and to be teachable? The Bible puts it like this. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you'll be honored. Now, the Proverbs, they're, they're statements that, about how life generally works. And he says, you know what? The, the surest way to personal failure is to ignore input from other people in your life. I mean, think about Adam. Don't you think that, he re, that, that God already knew what Adam was trying to hide? If God already knows it, then why would he feel like he needed uh, to not just own up to it? A lot of times we think that we're fooling other people, but honestly, we're really not because people can see through us more than they, they let on. But even if we can fool other people, we can't fool God about it. So, so why not just own it? And so back to that, that old nature, that new nature. If we're living out of the old nature, if we're reflecting that stony heart, it's a heart of stone because it, it is in denial about we're unwilling to own up. We're hard-hearted about admitting our need and our failures but instead living out of that new heart, that new spirit, that reflects itself in humility and in being teachable. Now, one more thing, one final thing, and this is really especially good for those of us who are Christians. It says to be self-aware people have um, authentic prayer lives, authentic prayer life. Our transparency with God leads to transparency with others. So how do I evaluate that feedback that I've gotten? How do I Find a place to be courageous in, front, in the face of my faults. How do I, where do I get that humility from and, and all the rest to, to keep from being defensive? Well, I go and talk to God about it. And I want to spend some time with that issue in the presence of God, just thinking and being reflective with God about what I'm hearing because God can give me incredible insight into my own inner life. And so there's this psalm. This is a great prayer. King David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is a prayer of self-awareness. He says, God, you know more about me than I know about myself. He says, God, there's all kinds of stuff in me that I'm not seeing. 
that I'm not even aware of. He said, I want to give you permission, God, to search me, not just search me, but to let me know about what's going on inside my life. Point out to me anything, he says, that offends you. Because I know there's probably a ton of stuff in there that I don't see. Point out to me anything that offends you. He's saying, God, I want to see myself more clearly. And so an important part of prayer is just getting quiet and reflective before God. Prayer is not just telling God stuff, not just talking to Him. It's not just telling Him all the things I want Him to do for me or for someone I love. It's not even just naming the things that I'm convicted of in my life. But prayer is listening. It's, it's letting God speak and opening up my heart to the input that God might want to give me about my own inner life. And so, you know, when we read the Bible every day, it's not just for content or information. It's to let the Holy Spirit speak through those words to reveal stuff in my heart, in my life. I'm reading the Bible and I see it and it goes, bam! And I'm suddenly aware of something I was not aware of before. And God can do that in our lives. You look at King David who wrote this. There was a time in his life when he had some major sin issues in his life that he was ignoring for months and for a long time. And so God finally had to send someone to him to confront him, to boldly call him out on this stuff. And David resisted it at first. Eventually it got through to him. It was painful, but it was good. And I think maybe that's where David learned the virtue of just being open, an open book before God. And so it's this great example in this psalm of, of having that kind of attitude of reflective honesty with God in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have some level of self-awareness without prayer. But you know what? In, in our relationship with God, what we learn is that, that we're, we can be really good at fooling ourselves having our blinders on, and we have these blind spots in our life, but God is able to reveal things directly to our heart, to our spirit, that sometimes even other people don't see or don't know, or sometimes we wouldn't be able to find that by reading a self-help book, but the Holy Spirit of God directly to us through His Word has incredible power in our lives, and God can penetrate deep into our heart. And you know what? I would rather have God expose a weakness on my part in private in my conversation with Him, then what happens sometimes when I'm not listening to Him is God will let it be exposed in public in front of other people on the job or at school, on the golf course or the ball field or wherever it might be. And so here's what I want you to understand today in these three marks of self-awareness I want you to see the importance of self-awareness to the growth in our lives that we desire. How important it is that we have the courage to be able to face up to our weaknesses, that we're humble and teachable enough that we can allow someone else to have that input into our lives, and that in prayer, that we have an authentic prayer relationship with God so that He can speak directly to us in those areas of our lives. We want to grow. Now, this is the kind of thing that really it goes beyond just a sermon. So I don't want you to just hear, maybe you're responding in your heart to something, but you're going to go away today, and in a couple hours you might have completely forgotten what we talked about. And so I really want to encourage you, if you want to make progress in this, because our hearts can be so challenging, to really make progress, you need to process it with other people. 
And maybe that's built in. Maybe you've got your roommates you can talk to or your family, your kids, your spouse. Maybe there's a mentor. Maybe there's a small group that you attend. But I think it's really important to help us to work this through, to really grow that we think this through together and get input from each other to let God's light shine into our inner hearts, our inner being, so that we are more self-aware and we become the people that we really desire to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you care about us enough to draw us into this deepening, growing relationship with you. And God, I don't want to have blinders on. I don't want to live the ignorance is bliss lifestyle because I know there's things that, are gonna, that, that need to be changed. I know there's things where I need to grow. And so, Father, I, I just want to ask you to open my heart. Help me to be courageous. Help me to be humble and teachable. All of us, God, we're asking you to do that work in us so that we can be the kind of people who respond to feedback out of that new heart, not the old, and who will be able to listen and accept it and receive it and, and, and wrestle with it in prayer so that you can change our lives. So help us, God, to be that kind of person today and in the days to come, to have the conversations that we need to have, to spend the time with you that we need to spend. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen.